0: Welcome to the Rare and Unique Vehicles podcast, where you can hear automotive histories that are not discussed anywhere else. We also cover news about automotive museums around the world. Your host is Dr. Pan Yegeshi, editor of the award-winning Rare and Unique Vehicles magazine and automuseums.info website, the world's most comprehensive guide to automotive museums. So, sit back and enjoy the ride. Welcome to the first edition of the Rare and Unique Vehicles podcast. Today we are going to discuss two different stories. One will be about all-wheel drive and sometimes hybrid military tractors and road trains built by factories on the territory of the Austro-Hungarian Monarchy. The other will be about the life and works of Robert Schwenke, German vehicle engineer who was active during the first half of the 20th century. Let's begin. Our first topic today is about military tractors and road trains featuring all-wheel drive and hybrid technology which were built on the territory of the former Austro-Hungarian monarchy. In order to understand why these vehicles have been built, we have to go back to the beginning of the 20th century when Europe was in a state of relative calmness before the storm. In fact, Germany, Italy, and the Austro-Hungarian monarchy signed a cooperation agreement, but as Italy built new fortifications on the border near the Austro-Hungarian monarchy military leaders of the monarchy decided to plan for a war in 1903 in order to haul military equipment including huge mortars they needed new transportation devices new vehicles and that's when the French Renard train appeared in Austria. Charles Renard is known from aviation history. He was the first one to build a flying machine, which was able to return to its starting point. Together with his brother Paul and Arthur C. Krebs, who went on to helm Panhard and Levassor, this flying machine was built in 1884. Later in 1903, Renard came up with the idea of the road train, which can be considered the predecessor of today's hauling trucks. It consisted of a tractor hauling six-wheel steerable trailers. The center axle of each trailer was powered through a series of cardan shafts driven from a power take-off from behind the rear axle of the trailer. It was effective, but extremely noisy. Renard tried to offer it to the French army and to other parties. Unfortunately, the French were not interested. Renard became depressed and committed suicide in 1905, but ultimately the Renard train became successful and was used in Australia and other places as well. The Renard train appeared at the 1904 Vienna Auto Show, and the military leaders saw an opportunity and urged local companies to develop similar vehicles to aid with the transportation of artillery equipment. The first one to react was Captain Kluschkar. His full name was quite long: Ludwig Kluschkar. Adler von Hochwald, he already patented an all-wheel-drive vehicle in 1902 and when he saw the Renard train, he immediately thought, oh, I can improve this. So he grabbed his drawings and went to the Austrian subsidiary of Daimler. Daimler was quite busy developing their own ideas, so Captain Tlashkall went to the second best place to the Hungarian city of Győr, where a group of Austrian investors set up a railway carriage factory in 1896. The Hungarian Railway Carriage and Machine Factory, later known as Rába, was happy to work with Captain Kluszkalm. Their road tractor featured both all-wheel drive and all-wheel steering and was completed by the 1905 military exercise. Everything was great, but Ultimately it turned out the vehicle has a braking problem. It took 200 meters to stop the vehicle, therefore the car idea was quickly rejected. This put an end to the experiments with road trains, but the idea was resurfaced a few years later. At the same time, the Austrian subsidiary of Daimler was busy with their own all-wheel drive experimental vehicles. The development work was led by Paul Daimler, son of Gottlieb Daimler, and uh, he completed his first all-wheel drive vehicle called the Panzer Automobile in 1905, which was one of the first armored vehicles featuring an internal combustion engine. Next up came a road tractor which was completed in the spring of 1906. It was powered by a 60 horsepower four-cylinder petrol engine, and uh, naturally it was again all-wheel drive. It weighed 3.5 tons and had a payload of two tons. The military provided three trailers for the tests, which had two handlebars for the two axles. This solution eliminated the problem of cornering on narrow streets. Unfortunately, by the time this vehicle was completed, Paul Daimler was asked to return to Stuttgart and in his place came Ferdinand Porsche. Porsche, the new technical director, built a new artillery tractor featuring Paul Daimler's all-wheel drive system. At the same time, a new player entered the field, Skoda from the Czech city of Pilsen which was famous for its beer. Now Skoda was a huge industrial conglomerate which was active in the production of artillery equipment so it was only logical that they also wanted a slice from the transportation cake. They utilized a p- patent from Archduke Leopold Salvatore to build their own, Artillery tractor, which also featured all-wheel drive steering. The Skoda prototype was able to haul 17 tons of material, but its steering was so heavy that reportedly two men needed to operate it. 1908, the army placed its first order, and they ordered a dozen tractors from the Austrian subsidiary of Daimler. This featured Paul Daimler's all-wheel-drive system, which was developed by Porsche and the six-cylinder 80-horsepower petrol engine. Eventually, Porsche pushed the German Daimler company out from its Austrian subsidiary and convinced the leaders of Skoda that a cooperation would be beneficial for every party involved. Therefore, Daimler and Skoda together were able to supply both mortars and transportation vehicles to the army. The last such artillery tractor was built in 1917 and obviously it was named M17. It weighed over 10 tons and had a wheelbase of 3 meters power came from a giant 13.5 four-cylinder engine using Aerol technology. It was nicknamed Goliath and had a top speed of 15 km per hour and was able to capable a mortar which weighed over 20 tons. As I mentioned previously, the road train idea was also resurrected. This happened in 1912 by a general in the Monarchy's army by the name of Landwehr von Pragenau. It was built by Daimler and featured Porsche's innovative petrol-electric hybrid drive. These road trains consisted of a generator car and a variable number of trailers, up to five on the road and up to ten on rail, each carrying a five-ton payload. A 100 horsepower petrol engine in the generator car was coupled directly to a 70 kilowatt dynamo. This supplied electrical energy via cables from the first to the last car, so the trailers were self-propelled and not towed. As in the case of the Renard Road train, the vehicle was able to traverse the harshest of road conditions with relative ease. And in order to safely stop the vehicles, they took a leaf out from railway technology and used vacuum brakes, which were perfected by John Hardy, a French-born engineer of British origins. The system Hardy brakes saw brake lines on both the generator car and the trailers, with the pump being driven by the engine. This device was called the Landwehr train, and. Uh, Various versions were used to haul light cannons and mortars as well. The last version was in use until the Second World War. If you are interested in more details, then please visit our website at RareAndUnique.Media and check out Volume Two, Number Seven, featuring the theme Innovation. Our next story will be about a German automobile pioneer named Robert Schwenke. This story will be published in the next issue of Rare and Unique Vehicles magazine, which will be out in about ten days time. And the theme of uh, this magazine, we will celebrate the fourth volume of the magazine, but also we look at some of the anniversaries. And uh, Robert Schwenke died 80 years ago in 1944. Now, don't beat yourself up if you never heard about Robert Schwencke. He is not a very well-known German engineer, but, he was hailed as one of the extraordinary and remarkable pioneers of automotive technology by revered uh, German motoring historian, Michael Graf Wolf Metternich, and uh, Erik Eckermann, the former curator of the Digest Museum, who wrote uh, an overview of Robert Schwenke's life for us, said that he was one of the true pioneers and uh, geniuses of automotive technology. Unfortunately, he never got the recognition he deserved, and over the years I met his name many times in old German magazines when I did my PhD thesis A couple years ago I visited the archive of the Deutsches Museum and found a letter by Robert Schwenke showing his uh, latest streamlined small car. So eventually I decided it would be great to do an article on him. And as I said, Eric Eckermann was very happy to compile an article for us on this great inventor. One of the problems we faced was the lack of a portrait. The only known photo of Robert Schwenke was published in 1933 in Motor Critic when he was 60 years old. So we used that and we used other photos from contemporary German magazines and patents. He had 19 patents to his name. One of the better known patents is from 1902, it's about front wheel drive. But he also designed four-wheel drive electric buses, economic city cars, aluminium-bodied, streamlined cars, a lot of very interesting vehicles. I think his life really deserves a book to be written. The problem is that there is probably not enough verified information on. So in the article we will just look at some of the companies and some of the vehicles he built. Robert Schwenke was born in 1873 in Katowice, which is part of Poland today and he was trained as a civil engineer which meant a technician who worked in mechanical engineering, electrical engineering or engineering sciences but did not serve in the military or the state. He designed his first vehicle in 1895, it was an electric delivery van which was delivered to the Israel department store in Berlin which was like the Harrods of Berlin. One of the main features of this delivery van was an avant train, which translates to English as a four carriage. This was first used in France. It meant a sort of boggy type thing, which enabled the standard horse-drawn carriages to be converted to mechanical power. A string of similar vehicles followed, for example, In 1899, he built a tramway-omnibus combination, which had four-wheel drive when it was in tram mode and front-wheel drive when it was in omnibus. At the turn of the 20th century, he also worked for the Külstein coach building company. For example, he participated in the design of an electric mail coach, and this received a grand prize at the the turn-of-the-century Paris World Expo. Around 1905-1906 he started designing front-wheel drive and all-wheel drive cars. In 1906 he designed the military vehicles, which could be used as a dispatch carriage or colonial cars, with the option of using it in the colonies. It never made it into serial production. Before the First World War, Robert Schwenke disappeared, or at least we don't know what happened to him. After the First World War in 1923, he returned with an aviator named Ivan von Stietenkron. Together they exhibited a streamlined three-seater at the 1925 Berlin Motor Show. It was a very interesting small car powered by a unique air-cooled two-cylinder flat engine with a crankshaft at right angles to the direction of travel half joints, universal joints, so it was a front-wheel drive small car, but uh, this also did not make into production, some commercial vehicles followed, nothing happened, they wanted to hand out licenses, nobody took out a license. Schwenke disappeared again in 1933, motor critic hailed him and tried to direct business to his direction, nothing happened. In 1934 Schwenke returned with a three wheeler, which had an unusual rear wheel steering configuration. Its body was made from a material which was a cross between stone wood and wood pulp press board. This was a very basic vehicle, very interesting looking, nothing happened. The last vehicle he built was around 1938. In 1936, Deutsches Museum decided to set up a dedicated vehicle hall, which would display the best of German automobiles. And Schwenke was chosen to be represented in this exhibition, so Fritz Oswald, one of the workers from Deutsches Museum, visited him and uh, offered him money, but eventually nothing came out from this meeting except a little allowance which the German Outwear Industry started giving to Schwenke. And basically that's all we know, he built another small car in 1938 and then he died in 1944. You can find photos and more information in the magazine and on our website where you can see a list of patents and a list of cars which we know about. And now let's hear some news about automotive museums. Obviously the biggest news is about the million Motor Museums in California which is set to close on the 10th of February. Some of the cars will be auctioned. Four cars will go to the peterson Museum including a Talbot Lago Turdop Coupe and the Hispano-Suiza Axenia. Less known but still worth mentioning is the closing of the National Holden Museum in Australia, which has been around for 30 years and uh, it was offered for sale, but as no buyer was found in April 2024, it will be closed and auctioned off. As for new temporary exhibitions, here are some of the latest. The Garage in Salina, Kansas, United States has an exhibition on open-top cars called Going Tops Down. The highlight is a 1941 Chrysler Thunderbolt. The Savoy Automobile Museum in Cartersville, Georgia in America opened Wooden Wonders, a unique display of woody wagons with vintage wooden boats in tow. Over at Nashville, Tennessee Lane Motor Museum opened British boffins which shows the quirky rides of Great Britain, including a Peel Trident and an Astra. This exhibition runs through December. The final exhibition I'm mentioning today is actually in Madrid, and it's called The Berlin Wall, a world divided. This talks about the time when Berlin was divided into West Berlin and East Berlin after the Second World War, starting from 1961. Obviously, you can see some of the iconic vehicles of East germany such as uh, trabant and uh, scooter and that was it i hope you enjoyed our first podcast we would love to hear from you please visit our website at rareandunique.media and check out some of the information related to the topics we have discussed and also visit the facebook page automuseums.info to see the latest museum-related news. See you in two weeks time. Thank you for listening.